What's up, everybody? Welcome to a modern music industry. Last week, I sat down with Joey Taholsky, aka Pure Colors. We talked about sample-based music culture, inspirations, collaborations, and his album release strategy for his latest record, Chromafunk. I should note that all of the background music in this episode is Pure Colors, including this intro theme, a collaboration between Joey and myself called El Camino Amarillo. But I'll be honest, he did 99% of the work. Sit back and relax as we do a deep dive into the mind of an accomplished producer, Ableton teacher, and live performer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Yeah, it's good to put the phone down and good to just meditate and kind of take a break from everything sometimes. So what's your, uh, what's your production kind of creative path look like? Just, just, where do you get ideas from, you know? Like, what's that special place that you go to get an idea? Um, honestly, I get really inspired by other artists. I think most people do, though. Like, you listen to something and you absolutely love it and you try to sort of channel, like, that that feeling or that vibe from it. Mm-hmm. But I also like to mix it up. Like, that's, that's typically how I just made music until, I guess, this year is, like, you're really inspired by some artists you like and you try to make something you uh, sort of sound like them, but you're also gonna put your own spin on it. Yeah, of course. So if, like, that's a, that's a big part of it for me and still is, but it's also nice to try to force yourself out of that mindset and enter a different creative mindset where um, instead of sampling someone else's music or listening to someone else's music, um, a lot of times now what I'll do on a certain day is go through Splice. Have you ever been on splice.com? I have been on Splice, yeah. Yeah, and just like find song builders or, or um, <clears throat> certain samples and like try to build something. Um, build something out of those loops, build something from scratch, add your own obvious like uh, bass line to it or, or melody or keys. And mm-hmm. then either leave that or you could uh, like leave the loops that you used in even though you alter them or you could try to recreate what you use from Splice so that you're really creating something um, original at the end of the day. Yeah, how often do you do that? Um, I do that like so right now I have a process where on Mondays I will find a track uh or on Mondays I'll actually I'm working on Chroma Funk too. So I'm trying to slowly like hey. make tracks for that album while mm-hmm. I'm working on while the rest of the week I'm working on the two EPs that I'm going to finish up. Yeah. Um so slowly working on Chroma Funk where I'll Half the time I'll like sample a song and, and build it. And the other half the time I'll go on Splice, find something that inspires me, and then I'll build a song out of that. Yeah. So it's really kind of half and half, trying to like use my brain differently instead of just doing sample-based stuff, which is what I did on Chroma Funk uh, the first Yeah. Day. No, I, I mean, I love that. My next question is, you know, how big is sampling in your kind of like musical identity? You know, some people swear by it. Yeah. Other people are more purists in the sense that they want to create all their sounds from scratch. Yeah, dude. I'm kind of like half and half right now. Um, I think there's pros and cons to both. And I think I could see myself down the road becoming a purist for sure. But I haven't been doing music for that long. And I'm not I'm not that like crazy about having to identify as a purist yet. Because like I said, there's pros and cons and sampling music is so fun. Um, you can turn around ideas a lot quicker. Um, and I don't know, it's like that P 
people really like that. Like that can be a part of your style. Um, you don't necessarily have to just be a sample artist. You don't necessarily have to be a purist. So it's just kind yeah. of fun to like, to be a little bit of both. Yeah, I guess coming from like a, like a DJ culture, just cause that's your job. You know, you probably are like constantly like looking through libraries and discovering songs and just like surrounded by music all the time. It would be hard not to sample. Yeah. yeah yeah man like the stuff that i love the most i guess that's a really good point like what i love the most is uh i guess sampled music i also love bands like what we were just listening to and wolfpack i love those guys but at the end of the day like i fell in love with sampled stuff at first um and i still love that today so that's if that's what you emotionally you're most attached to so i guess for any producers listening to this like whatever you are most attached to or whatever excites you the most, whatever you want to do, like that's probably the kind of music you should make if, if yeah. you aren't already doing that. Um, and so for me, a lot of it was sample-based stuff that kind of brought me into samples. Nice. So are you uh, like a vinyl guy? Do you go out and dig crates? Dude, I, uh, I didn't for a long time, but actually like now I... Oh, nice! Is that the Isley Brothers? Yeah, these, I have like five vinyls right here that I that I just keep. So these five, like, I have right in my studio because, in case I uh, am on Monday and I'm starting a new track, I want to be able to just like look through the vinyl I bought, try to find a, like a underground sample there instead of going on like Spotify or YouTube. Yeah. So I got the Isley Brothers like right yep. here. I got yep. this one's badass. Um, I haven't listened to it a ton, but it's like African. It's Steve Winwood. So oh, it's like cool. a trio that he he's a big part of. He plays every single instrument on this album. So like he's the guy who does Higher Love, uh, you, which you, you guys probably know, or you probably know. You know that song, Higher Love? Uh, uh, no. Like, bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. <laughs> that <laughs> song, it dude. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, that's Steve Winwood and... I bought this because he plays like every instrument on this album and I thought he was just a singer. <clears throat> and it turns out he's a total badass. Yeah, I was like, damn, this guy's awesome. <laughs> so Damn, this guy's incredible. Yeah, man, I've got a lot of good records that I, I need to go through and like really dig for Ooh, yeah, you do, man. <laughs> you know, you know that's a good one. Look at those colors. <laughs> yeah, dude. Look at these guys. They're having a great Sm yeah. One, two, seven smiling black man on a <laughs> retro <laughs> 80s <laughs> colored. Yeah, dude, I just vinyl. bought that. I didn't even think. You know, That's a gem. That's $3. a gold mine. You probably got that for $4. Three bucks, man. Yeah. $3. Yep. So, yeah, sampling records is great. Um, need to do more of it, but I, I definitely try to like hunt through those and try to find something more underground first. Yeah, man. The um, off of Chromafunk Beatrix Kiddo, that. Uh, I really, really love you, Renee Geyer. Yeah. Dude, that is a deep. You told me about that. Yeah. Deep cut. I could not believe how deep that cut was. It was pretty and deep. And it's a great song. YouTube, man, is is a goldmine for digging. Yeah. You know, if you find something really awesome and it doesn't have a lot of plays, then yeah. Like, just try I mean, to find literally those nowhere. Cuts. Like, that song is, is nowhere else online except in this, like, one fan uploaded. <laughs> yeah, dude. And that kind of brings me to what we were just talking about earlier. Like, there, there's a lot of samples out there that haven't been used yet. Surprising. Like, yeah. the fact that I found that and nobody else really used it, I guess, on who sampled, I haven't checked, but I don't, I don't think people have used a lot of 
maybe some of Renee Geyer, but not that song. And that's kind of like why I love sampling too, is because somebody somebody's gonna sample those dope songs eventually. It's mm -hmm. it's probably it could it could be very illegal down the road, just like based on the state of it now, um, copyright wise. So why not why not try to milk it right now while you can? Other people yeah. are doing it and getting away with it. Slash, not not afraid to do it. I guess is a better way to put it. They're not afraid mm -hmm. to sample, so you don't necessarily need to be afraid to do it right now too. Yeah. So what does that uh, what does that copyright process look like for you? Like, what sort of hurdles do you run into as a sample artist? You know, when it comes to releasing music, or like talking to record labels about getting you know record label yeah, support. That's the Are they biggest... like afraid because of the samples. That's the biggest thing, man. And actually, I'm still learning about this to this day. I haven't had a ton of label releases. Um, a lot of it's self-release, which is nice. You don't necessarily have to worry about sampling as much. Um, labels, for the most part, are not okay with samples that are uncleared. Um, of course. For obvious yeah. reasons, liability down the road. But also, I've seen a lot of artists, few artists that I follow do releases on big labels where they're sample-based artists. So they're sampling on like all those tracks and I'm, I don't know how that works. That's, that's yeah. what I'm still learning. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I guess some labels look the other way and they're not, not too worried about it. Well, um, so when you sample, you'd have to get the sample cleared. So like we could take um, DJ's shadow song that they did with Run the Jewels, Nobody Speak. You know, and that was sampled from like a, a pretty obscure, like that, the, the guitar line, that like main melody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's a great song. And Run the Jewels is huge. And so I imagine the record label got in touch with the copyright holders for all of the, all of the samples in the recorded piece of music and requested licenses to be able to sample them and to make sure that the royalty royalties would flow back. But I have heard of in cases where the rights holder, like the copyright holder, doesn't allow the physical copyright of the song, like the physical record, the actual recording of the song to be sampled. Uh, artists and DJs, or record labels rather, will hire musicians to recreate like exactly what it is, oh, yeah. but to re-record it so they only have to clear uh, the compulsory songwriting, the mechanical license, right, which is a compulsory license, which means that the owner of the songwriting copyright cannot deny the artist uh, the right to use that uh, intellectual property as long as they're getting paid. As long as they're getting paid. As long as they're getting paid. Right, yeah. right. That right. makes sense. So you can be sued for making a song that sounds very, very similar to another song, but that's because the original. Uh, song owner isn't getting paid up. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a crazy world out there. I, 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 you know, I only know how it works from a textbook position. You know, from just like a, a, a reading up about it and studying it. I've never had yeah. to clear a sample or anything. So. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is like a lot of us, a, a lot of artists who aren't super big, haven't had a lot of life experience with it. Like. Yeah, I mean, like I've read I've read books on it, but it's hard to know what how things work in the actual world because there's there's rules and there's the way things should be, and then there's like the actual reality of the music industry, which you don't really know about unless you talk to people who are deep in it and can yep. share that, or you're doing it yourself. So, mm -hmm. 
And there's a ton of sample artists out there. There's a ton. And I hope that 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 group of like that genre is growing. You know, I love sampled music. I know I do, too. I like the way I looked at it, the way I looked at Chroma Funk was that was the first that was when I really started getting into sampled music seriously. Put out that album like after, you know, carefully trying to curate the right songs for it. And I looked at it as like revisiting the past and kind of bringing it back in a new way. Mm-hmm. So that was a cool thing about sampling to me was like, these are old relics slash these are changed up a lot. Like I pitched up the vocal completely to make them the controllers who are men sound like a woman is singing it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like that kind of stuff really excites me is like making something really different out of it. Yeah, it's so beautiful. You're taking art and you're making new art. Yeah. With old art, but it's like almost the greatest form of respect for these original songwriters because it's like you know what i mean yeah absolutely man it's so cool and it's so fun to do that feeling when you like realize that you you took something you made it your own and then you put your beat on it you put your spin on it is really cool and you know other people are gonna like it because it's just it was a good song originally and chroma funk is amazing so chroma funk 2 is that also going to be all samples sample based Um, songs well like i told you earlier i'm trying to sort of like use both i'm trying to mix up my creative process Mm -hmm. so i think probably right now maybe like 75 percent of it is sampled and then 25 is like all right i'm just gonna build a build a beat and like make it make it original but make it really funky and still fit for the album yeah so it feature um, other musicians too like oh i was gonna ask yeah uh, do you hire musicians like do you hire Horn, I know, I remember when Grizz, Grizz was working on an album where he hired like a horn trio and documented it. And I thought that was so cool, you know, because he'd find yeah. a sample and then he'd just take the horn line and just chart it out, make it a little different, give it to horn players and re-record it. And oh, is that it. what he did? He like found the sample and then he brought those guys in? I don't know. It's more likely he brought in a horn trio and then like the leader of the trio just wrote out real quick charts for everybody. Yeah. Um... Is that the guys, are those the guys that have been playing live with him on stage, like like rocking back and forth with him? Not sure, but I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I saw those guys, man. His live show and videos I saw was badass. He had, he's had a drum line out there multiple times. Yeah, I did see that one. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so Grizz has the money to pay musicians like that. I yep. don't. <laughs> yep. I mean, I, I, I could like, I could obviously, um, I could do that, you know, if we if we figured out a fair rate. But surprisingly, um, a lot of the times, in in our world, like with musicians around your same size, um, mm-hmm. you don't you don't necessarily they don't they don't ask you for payment. They're like, hey, you want to do a collab? You want to work on this track? And it's like, yeah, man, for sure. And if you if you do one with them where you sent them a track then they'll mm-hmm. probably send you one and you do one. And then it, at the I guess at the end of the day, it's sort of like evened out, right? Yeah. So the same concept could be said. Like if I paid some horn players to do a song and then they sent me one and they paid me, we'd kind of just be at the same place. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, like doctors, hopefully most doctors don't go into being doctors for the money. They do it to ultimately because they have like a moral obligation to do it and i feel like musicians are the same way we're yeah we're musicians so that we can make music yeah in I, any capacity yeah yeah we don't get into it for the money because there's not money <laughs> no, there's not money for a for a long time <laughs> <laughs> for like 10 years unless you get pretty lucky or you're really good yeah dude
Yeah, so or you have like, like a really huh? nice, or you have like a really nice initial, like funding, or like, you know, your parents give you a lot of money, or, but, or you've just got a gorgeous voice, you know, yeah. you've just got like a one in a million voice, yeah, that yeah, can carry you up real quick, amazing, yeah, and you know, then of course like work ethic and determination and like, per understanding yourself, you know, to like manage all of that. People don't talk about uh like mental health enough in the music industry which i think is interesting uh, no yeah. dude mental health is huge in this industry yeah and it took me a while to realize that too like i think the nice thing about being i, I guess 27 now is when i was younger you don't really quite understand how challenging it is doing music you're just like yeah i guess this is this is it like i things are hard or whatever but as the more you do it after years of doing it you realize like yeah this is really tough and everybody feels it yeah 100 percent. it is really tough but ultimately it is the most rewarding thing in the world yeah to be able to you know make it work yeah yeah and just doing it that's the thing is like yeah it's tough at times but you get you get um rewarded along the way like a bunch and that's what makes it worth it and also just the the struggle of doing it the journey of doing it if you can look at it the right way is is fun like that's that's mm -hmm. also just fun in itself yeah the work it the work is supposed to be fun getting getting better at an instrument or at a production task or at marketing digital marketing or touring and self-management like that is part of the fun you know yeah like it's just a matter of what else would you rather do with your time and if you would rather do something else with your time, then do that. But if they're, if you're mm -hmm. the kind of person that's like, no, this is all I, this is what I want to do right now. This is like really what I care about. Then just, you just do it, you know? Absolutely. Have you ever heard of, um, you know, the, you know who Sisyphus is? Uh, I don't, I don't know who that is. Sisyphus is, um, the subject of a Greek tale um, a, a piece of Greek lore, Greek mythology. Um, so Sisyphus was a man who did some crime in his life and then was punished by having to roll a boulder up a mountain. But the cruel part of it was that he would never reach the top of the mountain. The boulder would always fall and he would have uh, to start back over the next day. Gotcha. So he is in like eternal, you know, <laughs> the eternal, what they call the Sisyphean struggle, which is like, or a Sisyphean task is like a pointless task, like a time-consuming pointless task. But it, you can also kind of turn it around and think about it like, you know, pushing that boulder up the hill is ultimately, if you can enjoy doing the work, then like it's not about making it to the top of the mountain. It's about being able to continue pushing the boulder up the mountain. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and like I'm sure part of that tale, I can just imagine if he ever got the boulder to the top of the mountain, he and that was his life's like quest was to just try like, to get then the what boulder. do you do? Then what do you do, man? You're gonna exactly. go to a, a bigger mountain probably, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and then so. do the same thing. So what's the difference? So like that's what you just said, man, is so key. Like I've had to tell myself this so many times, so many times over the last few years. It's like just like I want to get to the next level. But I know that once I get there, I'm going to want to get to the next level. So you just yep. have to be like, I know that's going to happen. And so I'm totally cool with where I'm at right now. Like that it's that simple as reminding yourself that where you're right now is fine yep. as long as you're making progress.
To quote Game of Thrones, it doesn't matter what you want, because as soon as you get it, you'll just want something else. Yeah, that was probably that Tyrion was or somebody. Littlefinger who said that. Ah, uh, okay. To Sansa. Yeah. <laughs> Tyrion's it doesn't matter man. what we want. <laughs> man, rest in peace. So, um, so, so, what's your? Um, I have two questions about um, being a producer for you before, I, and then I want to talk about Chroma Funk specifically um, and kind of get into more of the strategy angle of that. So, kind of, what is your? How do you feel about being a producer in like a world of musicians? You know what I mean? Like what what kind of advantages do you have and cuz I come from purely you know you need like at least 3 people to play a show yeah. kind of lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, that's it's very cool. collaborative. That's yeah, I've definitely noticed that too along the way like I mean it's really funny too because I started playing live in cuz I know you're a drummer, of course, yeah. Yeah, I'm a drummer. I started as a drummer and I got into music production. But when I started doing Pure Colors Live, it was just me on drums, like performing music. And mm -hmm. a lot of people like are like, what? You're a drummer. You can't just be a drummer. But there are so many DJs. There's so many producers and DJs who just are up there DJing. So if you add a live element to it, like playing drums and DJing, mm -hmm. that's just an added bonus. It was a no brainer. Yeah, it's to me. bonus points. Yeah. But but at the same time, it's weird. It's like, wait, he's not a band like he's he's just a drummer he's missing a bassist he's missing like a guitarist or something so that's a really good yeah. point um i feel like there's a ton of pros to being a music producer versus being in a band um mm -hmm. i'm not like i'm not saying that it's better or worse at times i wish i was in a band but i live with a roommate who's in a band and as far as like recording music goes and being able to put music out there and being able to like finish stuff there's a lot of pros to being a solo producer versus being in a in a band. Yeah, a hundred percent. Do you ever feel lonely? Oh yeah, I mean totally, man. Uh, yeah, I I think I'm lucky in the fact that like I don't think be, I I know that being solo isn't for everyone. Like you have to be mm -hmm. you have to be pretty good at like being on your own, being being introverted being like isolated and just working on music and doing the things that you need to do on your own and i'm just naturally like that the older i've gotten the more comfortable i've been with that and like i've just sort of like realized yeah this this is something i can do like i like working on shit by myself but at the same time it would be cool to have like somebody else be a part of a duo project or, or have somebody else that's probably the biggest downside actually is like the fact that you have to keep yourself in check all the time and yeah. you have to make yourself work because there's nobody else like gonna gonna help you with that interesting yeah that makes sense because you've gotta you, you're the only one that can hold yourself accountable for things it's just you man yeah like if you're yeah. in a duo if you're a duo you have somebody else who's like dude we need we need to put out music oh but i will say like it's kind of it's a big game changer when you get a team um, before I had a manager and, and a booking agent, it was, it was tough. Like I was right out of college and I was like, this is what I want to do. And I'm trying to get myself, uh, try, trying to just figure shit out. Like you don't, you don't know a lot of stuff at first too. And so you're just like, oh, I'll try this. Yeah. I'll try this. But when you have a team and you have somebody keeping you in check and like, uh, who, somebody who cares about you, who's like, we should try this. And, and they're handling tasks now that before you were doing all yourself. Then it's a mm -hmm. lot less Absolutely. lonely once you get to that yeah. point. Many hands make light work, of course. 
Yeah, so that's you've really got someone important. else to help hold you accountable, you know, on those bad days. Absolutely, dude. So it, it takes yeah. time to build a team, but that helps a lot once you can, you can do that. Yeah, so your manager, Omar, right? What's your relationship like? How'd y'all get, how'd y'all get started working together? We got started because uh, he had seen a show, actually. I played a show at, uh, what's the venue called? It's in, uh, damn. I forget the part of town. I played a show at a smaller venue. It's not it's not aisle five. Um, I'll remember it later. But he went to that show and I was playing drums and he just he thought it was a really good show. He was impressed. And then he messaged me uh, later that week. He's like, hey, man. Um, and, and I could see on Facebook like he messaged me and he was like, hey, man, um, it'd be cool if we got dinner sometime and, and, and talked. And I was like, OK. Uh, Sure. Like he was kind of vague at first, but I looked him up on Facebook and I could see, oh, Vibes Inc. Oh, and actually, sorry, I forgot. Uh, he had actually helped promote a show with that I had done at Terminal West with Late Night Radio. Oh, cool. So he was he was Vibes Inc. He had seen me play then. That was actually when he first saw me. He went to the second show and then he messaged me later and he was like, hey, man, um, nice. let's get dinner. I got dinner with him and then he just made his pitch. He was like, "Yeah, we're we're interested in managing uh, managing you and and all this stuff." Kind of that's how it happened. Sweet. Was he working with other artists? Like not as a promoter, but as a manager when y'all started working together? Yes, he was uh he is and was managing Space Cadet. Mm, and yeah. I think that, I think that was his only act, man. And then he's uh he's been killing it too. He's been adventurous and taking on more acts, so he's got I think two more acts on top of me and Space Cadet right now. These man. Wow, four is a four is a big crowd for a manager. Yeah, man, but he's he's really good at his job. He's really he's a great guy. He's really quick at responding. He's uh, mm -hmm. he's got a business mindset. I, I see a lot of similarities between us, honestly. And so, yeah, he's pretty cool. That's awesome. That's super badass. I've never formally met him, but I've heard so many good things you know i've known the space cadet boys yeah. for a long time and uh, i guess i've known you for quite some years at this point as well yeah that's crazy man it's been like I, i've been out of college for four years so i've probably known you for like five yeah because i think we met i think uh we were both wearing hawaiian shirts at a wonder bar <laughs> is that something. how we met yeah i don't remember but I, that seems right yeah, <laughs> yeah dude uh, it was downtown at some point. I remember like running into you in, in front of the Georgia Theater a couple times, like around yeah. Fest. And uh, wow, five years. Yeah, dude. And now you're just working everywhere in Athens. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not working anywhere anymore. <laughs> well, just like millions of other people, myself included. Yes. <laughs> so that actually is a nice segue, a nice transition. I wanted to ask about just because it's sort of a. Um, a current event it's it's very topical to talk about COVID-19 and about how you're handling quarantine as a musician and as a producer but also as like sort of a self-managed person you know what yeah. I mean? yeah yeah totally yeah. it's I mean it's interesting because before the quarantine my life was pretty much like this but now <laughs> it's just it's just a little more intense <laughs> Like the only difference between my life now versus what it was before the quarantine is I saw my friends a 
pretty decent bit more. And I could go to the grocery store without getting looked at weird. <laughs> yeah. Like most uh, most solo music producers are if they're if they're really putting out a lot of music or just putting out a lot of content or something, they're they're in their studio a lot. Um, yeah, and that's that's where I'm at. But I'm lucky to have a studio that I that I enjoy that I like being in. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I'll see I'll see my buddies who are like really, really good about putting out content and um, and putting out music all the time. And I just think, man, you must just like live in your studio. <laughs> this is insane. Yep. Putting out like a song a week, YouTube videos, like really good Instagram st- content. You, know, like, you have to, man. You have to just yeah. like be used to get used to just being in your studio or wherever you do your content. Um, but luckily if you're staying busy with that kind of stuff, like time goes by fast, you probably don't feel too lonely, you know, most of the time. So yeah, it's all good. And, and you get the big payoff, you know, and you get to kind of like reap that benefit all by yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, man. Like I've seen some people hunker down and just put out a piece of video content every day for months. And people would ask him all the time, like this particular producer, dude, how'd you do this? He's like, man, this is all I do. Like. He's got yeah. these five hours every day where he makes music and he just puts yep. it out, puts it out, puts it out. And he grew his audience like crazy. Um, Are you talking about The Count? Talking about Count. I'm talking ah, about The Count, dude. I knew it. He's, he's <laughs> yeah. crazy. He's a monster. Did you, did you find him through me or did you find him yourself? I found him through you. Okay, yeah. Because of one of your Instagram stories, we reposted him. And, and yeah, he's incredibly prolific and he puts out great stuff. Yeah, dude, he's he's insane. He's awesome and he's killing it. Mm-hmm. He deserves that kind of growth that he's got. I watched his like Instagram go from like three or four thousand followers to I think now he's at sixteen thousand something. It's because he makes good content. Yeah, and often. like I've you know I've like paid attention to certain Instagram strategies that a lot of these Facebook uh, a lot of these music marketers will try to tell you to do like oh like hashtagging and oh like certain tricks and whatever like that kind of stuff the count as far as i know he just kind of disregarded all that he wasn't following people he wasn't using any hashtags he was just putting out content and that's really cool to me that he was like putting his head down doing the work yep and i think a lot of it is being efficient in the studio um you know when i sit down to make music well if i'm sitting down to be creative i try and be creative and not get bogged down in kind of the technical processes but definitely when i was like designing my home studio and like my digital software setup routing camera placement video editing distribution techniques like session files it's like how can i be the most efficient how can i get out and record ideas as quickly as possible to like get everything from my head into something usable you know and then i can crank out grooves and like ideas for like big band in 30 minutes, which is like not a lot of time when you're writing for bass, guitar, keys, drums, and horns, and vocals. Yeah, that's crazy. That's but like you've, all efficiency is the name of the game. But you've learned so much, and like that's such a, a cool skill to have. Yeah, and like the count, I see all of his content, and it's like you can tell he's he's in that rhythm of like he sets up his camera, he does, he gets the shaker, like. 10 seconds of shaker, he's a tambourine, 10 seconds of tambourine, he gets some other percussion, 10 seconds of some other percussion, camera angle on the, on the piano, plays the chords, plays the lead line. 
turns the camera off, <laughs> bounces yeah. it. I bet, I bet he could do a video in 20 minutes. Probably, man. After all that practice, you just know yep. how to do it. You yep. know how to do it, man. And the, I think the difference, I think like what he's really good at is he probably doesn't have to take a long time to write a really cool beat um, because he's had so much practice. So that's the problem a lot of producers might run into is like, oh, I want to do that. But then they start and they're like, man, this isn't good enough. This this isn't quite as cool because yeah. trying to do this in like two hours or an hour, like, it's not as good. But if you're like him and you've done it over and over and over again, and you're just really talented, smart musician, you can yep. crank them out in a day like like what he does. Absolutely. So he's been I... super inspirational for me. Um, I'm trying to, he's inspired me to like, to become a better piano player, better like keys player and, and uh, be more experimental with jazz and stuff, which I have been needing to do for a while. Yeah, practice your seventh chords. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that that kind of stuff and just be be better at writing all original music that's what i that's what i want to get better at as a challenge myself so i saw your um your corona video yeah uh, which i loved how long did that take to put together so i filmed the whole i made the song actually in one day after maybe like three hours of work the song was done and that's how i like to do it i finished the song first then the second day we were outside at the pool chilling, and I got the idea of like throwing in the Corona bottle in there. So we just filmed that. Then I just hung out with my girlfriend the rest of the day. I didn't do anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then the next day, I uh, filmed the whole thing. So I had my girlfriend kind of film a little bit, like walking around, and then I set up and I filmed. And honestly, that only took like an hour and a half, maybe, to just film it. Yeah. Um, because I had already practiced what I had produced. Two days ago it was easy to just quickly play it again and then finally the third day is when i edited it edited the video which i'm still newer at but it probably took me like uh an hour and a half to edit it okay so all in all it, was, it took a while but uh it was cool to like have a start to finish video like that yeah it was really cool i mean it was you in different environments so i figured like oh man he this this took some time yep this isn't just like sitting, you know, at your desk. Like the count has just like that one angle. <laughs> yeah, he's got the angle right here. Yeah. <laughs> like right right here <laughs> with his keyboard. And then he's got another one for his keyboard over there where he's like chilling playing that. Yeah. So it takes time. But I mean, yeah, like if you want to have, if you want to put out really good content, um, it'll take time at first until you learn those shortcuts, like what you're talking. 100%. Yeah, just getting that efficiency. Yeah, and having like your sample library is huge as a as a producer. Um, you have to have folders like organized your go to samples that you really like, go to drum samples, go to percussion loops, yep. one shots, whatever, and that'll save you a ton of time. So well, yeah, how does your um, I guess like what are some strategies that you use to be efficient digitally, like in your in Ableton in your DAW? Yeah. Um, a lot of it's self-taught, but what I what I pretty much do is I just uh, when I'm first making a song, yeah. Let's say let's say it's it's a sample. Oh, and song. what what drums do you use, by the way? You should release a drum pack. I'm going to man. You are. That's awesome. I guess I'm telling the world now. <laughs> All right, there it is. I'm working on it. I'm working on it with my roommate. He's a he's a badass guitar player in a band, and he is super knowledgeable with mixing. Um, well, mostly Who recording. Mixing and recording. Creighton, do you know my roommate Creighton? 
No, I don't think so. <clears throat> he's in the band Rujan. He plays guitar. Nope. Um, but yeah, he's uh he's like super super. He's geeked out over the last year or so on miking drums, miking musical instruments. So he's gonna we're gonna try to put a sample a drum pack together. Cool. What are the drums that you use? Like if you just were had had a beat in your head and you wanted to like throw it down. Uh, like drum samples. Yeah, yeah. Where do you get your samples from? Is that a question I'm allowed to ask? No, producers? no, totally. No, I, I pretty much I show support like on Instagram for where I get my samples from all the time, man. So it's uh, it's different sources, really. It's like there's a dude named AJ Hall who's a badass drummer. Um, mm -hmm. I shouted him out on my Instagram because he's he's kind of like me, like he's a drummer producer, and I want to talk to him and uh, pick his brain because he's he's badass at drums. He's got some drum sample packs out. He's got two that I know of. The Count has awesome drum samples, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, there's a guy named La Maestromind. La Maestro Mind. It's either La Maestro or La Maestro Mind. Uh, and he's got some badass drum samples as well. So I try, to, I try to support, like, when you have a producer that you like who puts out a drum pack, I love to support that versus something on Splice. Or yeah, or even trying to record my own drums, which I you know I'm, I'm learning that. I like to support those guys over over something you can find on. Yeah, re recording your own drums, then you really start to dive into the technicalities of like sculpting sound, and yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but I'm gonna embrace that challenge. Uh, yeah. down the road soon but yeah man like the most important part is as a as a solo producer is like learning how to move quickly and using tools at your disposal so 100%. you don't you don't want to waste time trying to you don't want to waste time using a bad a bad drum set sound in your track and your drums sound like shit even if everything else sounds yeah. good do you know the uh i think he's an atlanta resident actually stolen drums yeah man i know him do you have his you know him Oh, well, actually, I haven't met him. I went to one of his shows. I meant to talk to him. I didn't talk to him. But, yeah, he's a, he's a boss, man. And I think I think I have some of his uh, slappy drums from Split. Yeah, I, I, I bought his slappy drums. They sound great. I like them a lot. Yeah, he, yeah uh, they sound good. They slap. I don't, I don't know how he makes his drums. I think he, like, he records, he records some one-shots, and he, like, runs it through some of his gear. That's all I know. But yeah. yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty badass. That's the secret, isn't it? Getting digital samples and then routing them into analog gear and then re-recording them and just get all that like natural warm fatness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to meet him. I really like his music. And I didn't know he was an Atlanta native until just the other day. Really? Yeah. Yeah, man. I've been following him for like two years now and he's, uh, he started a movement. He's like, he's... He's doing some cool shit, man. He's kind of like the the Jay Dilla, like reborn. He, he started like this beat movement in Atlanta that apparently there's a huge demand, you know? Sweet. Yeah. Hop on it, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I like his stuff. I like his stuff a lot too, man. Um, Cool. So do you want to talk about Chroma Funk? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Did you have any questions with uh with that or do you want me to just kind of talk about it? I have some questions relating to, we already talked about the collaborations. Uh, I did want to ask, 
you about your collab with Flamingosis, but we can get to that later. Um, yeah, just questions, like, lessons you learned during the album release. Did you work with a publicist? Did you pitch to playlists? What were some marketing content strategies that you used? What lessons did you learn? Things like that. I think the... So I maybe think just give, give everybody the general overview, and then I can dive in with more specific questions. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, Let's do that. As far as as far as the album went, the first thing I did was obviously just writing it in like really trying to channel channel the vision for this album. I knew it was going to be sample based. I knew that it was going to be funky, and hence the name Chroma Funk. Um, yep. And I wanted I wanted there to be like this whole story and brand with it, which is important. Like having a visual aesthetic with the cover art that matches the music. Um, so that was really that was really how it started and. Uh, I was just, I just determined that it was time to put out an album. I was super nervous. I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to put out an album now. You know, that's a big deal. Your first album. I think it's really important for music producers to not be in that mindset and to just once you once you're established enough with your style and it's it's concrete enough to where you're not experimenting genre wise. Like, yeah, if you're, if you're good enough, put out an album, man, because that's really what people can latch onto and re-listen to. Um, and you don't necessarily need to release it on a label. You can self-release it. So anyway, I'm kind of deviating right now, but Chroma Funk, that's how it got started. I realized it was time to put out an album. Um, and once it was finished, the I think the biggest proponent that helped out was a couple things. The first thing, like knowing that I wanted to collaborate with some artists that are similar to me and like kind of start that networking start that conversation with them um is really cool because now you have you have another audience you're exposed to and you have um you have you have people who can make a quick identity in their minds like oh this guy sounds like this guy this guy sounds like this he's like this this artist so yeah it's uh it's really quick uh at at helping people understand who you are too yeah, hundred percent. So collaborating, collaborating yeah. was important. And then the second thing I was gonna say, really quick, is just um, putting it out in a cool way. So that was the first time I made vinyl, and I crowdfunded my vinyl. Yes, and that's that, cool. That got people talking and whatnot and sharing it. So a, a lot of shares. I saw a lot of organic uh, reach, especially from the from the vinyl. People were posting you know weeks even like a month after the album was released because they got their vinyl it was like the second wave almost of yeah yeah it it's cool. it's crazy like that's that's amazing post release promo that you don't have to pay for you know yeah like people are and sharing dude, congratulations by the way just on hitting that number and crate that's that's pretty cool Thank you, dude. Yeah, I can't tell you how nervous I was. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, think about if 95 people put down, put their money, like, their information in, like, yeah, I'll pay I'll pay for that when it comes, and then, like, doesn't happen, then yep. good luck trying to get them to buy it in the future, you know? It's like, man, I was let down last time. Um, so I was really nervous, but luckily, like, Crates chipped in, helped uh, spread the word. Crates is awesome. And Sweet. Yeah, it just, it somehow worked out. It worked out really well. It, it was like slow for a bit. And then near the end of the campaign, in two or three days, there was like 50 orders or something. It was crazy. 
Nice, because it got to those last couple days and it was like crunch time. It was crunch time. It was yeah. crunch time and crates. I think a lot of it was crates put out an email blast to their email list. It was like, um, if you like Wolfpack, if you like this, like check this album out. And then oh, cool, bunch of orders that way. Nice, there you go. Yeah. That's cool. So did you work with a publicist at all? On I the did not. I did not work with the publicist. Yeah, I, uh, I barely did any sort of sort of promo, paid promo, man, to be honest. I didn't pay for Spotify. The reason I didn't is because I had done that in the past and I had a bad experience working with uh, PR. Oh yeah? Tell me about it. Just expensive as hell, dude. And It is expensive as fuck. I mean, it's so expensive and you can't, they can't guarantee any results for you. Very frustrating. It, it really can, I want to I want to believe and I want to say that it, it doesn't always work out unless you are a certain type of artist that is a little more mainstream or more, more appropriate for PR. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know, but that's that could be biased. Basically, I think my genre at the time I paid for PR, I was a little bit uh, different, you know, a little bit more underground, you could say. And mm -hmm. that that stuff isn't necessarily always successful when you're paying for PR. Yeah, like thinking about some of your earlier releases and especially that really successful song that you had on on Spotify, Need You Now. I mean, that's all. I mean, it sounds pretty different in like what I imagine to be pure colors than Chroma Funk does and that this new EP that you're about to drop does, I'm sure. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the style evolves and changes. Um, Absolutely. But this album, it's possible it could have done a little bit better with PR because it was, uh, you know, I, I consider it to be a little more streamlined start to finish and it, it really mm -hmm. does feel like an album. Um, so yeah, I, but I, I actually didn't use any sort of services like that. For yeah, I feel like uh, PR just in general is, is in a really rough spot right now. Uh, I did an interview with Juliana Tedeschi, who is Pigeon Playing Ping Pong and um, Turquoise and Corey Wong's publicist. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I saw so that, actually. She's a badass. I mean, essentially, she's like a major badass. And we we were talking about just like kind of like the landscape, like the PR landscape, um, the opportunities for bands, the opportunities that she has, um, the outlets, because I mean, it's... You know, and we were talking about Gary Vaynerchuk earlier, who really introduced to me the idea of the attention economy. And it's like PR, it's like, it's all about placement. So if you don't have music that is suitable for, like suitable to be placed, then it, it doesn't really make sense to try and go after PR. The The thing that I took away most from it was that, you know, in the, in the late 90s and the 2000s and even the early 2010s, there were many, many more outlets than there were people looking for PR. And now it's the reverse, is there's many, many more PR people, agents, you know, just like bands looking for exposure, people like trying to do publicity. Then there are outlets that have real audiences and organic communities and real following that, you know, turn around. Wow. So, that makes sense. I mean, we don't have like blogs like like we used to have, but I wonder. If, yep. Which so is what kind is of the birth? Yeah. What is her job then? Like, where is she trying to place their their music? Um, there are a couple blogs that I think do really well, um, but only a few. And we talked about how the whole landscape is moving towards video, 
Um, so she'll do things like partner with Live for Life Music to do a live stream of a new album, you know, or like an album listening party live streamed through Live for Life Music's Facebook page. Um, you know, opportunities like that where you're really leveraging digital connections of these like media outlets. Gotcha. Um, so it's not just like, will you write about my band and put us in your in the Rolling Stones like it used to be? Now it's like, will you put up two Instagram stories and and make a you know do some Twitter shout outs? That makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, a different landscape, and that's but that's arguably very important because you're going to reach an even bigger audience digitally than you might reach in Rolling Stone back in the day. You know? Yeah, it's a different kind of audience because it's like that two-second, you know, attention, you know? Right. And so it's like impressions. It's like, oh, you, you're scrolling through Twitter and it's like, oh, look, Turquoise put out a new record. That's cool. And then you keep scrolling, you know, and, it, and you might need to get like hit with that like yeah. six or seven times before you're finally like, oh, okay, maybe I should actually listen to this record. Yeah, I'm the same yeah. way, dude. It's It's kind of scary on that note because like, I'll see a new release from a band I I really like. I won't say love. I'll I'll see a release from a band I I like or really like, like Tur Turquoise, mm -hmm. and I'll be like hell yeah. But I'll keep scrolling and I won't listen to it for like yeah. a week. <laughs> it's like damn, if I'm doing that with Turquoise, like what are people doing with my music? Like you know, yep. same thing. They need to be hit with it like what ten times and then they'll check it out. So I heard that seven is the magic number, but it should probably be higher. It should probably be like. 15. <laughs> yeah, seven times. Exactly. Yeah. So it's important, man. But at the same time, even though people have to be hit with it maybe seven times, you do, you can't be the guy who's using your Instagram that way. Um, like making the same post, same message like seven times, that's going to exhaust your audience. Mm -hmm. So I guess if well, you are that happened to my Instagram, I, 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 I used to have a personal Instagram and then I had a public one and then I merged them, but then I found that I wasn't posting personal stuff to the public-facing Instagram, and then the public-facing Instagram just felt like a, it just felt like a, like a, just a front, you know? It's yeah. Just like promotion and check this thing out. And I don't know. No, I feel I, I was, you. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I do. And a lot of bands suffer with that. A lot of musical artists suffer with that. Is they just, they're only going for asks. They're only asking for attention, you know, in that way. Yeah. I mean, like, even Adam Ivey for a while, like, talking about him, he probably felt that same way for a long time. Yeah. Um, but eventually, well, so, you get an audience, and then it's, like, more of a conversation, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it helps when you've already got music out, you know, because you've got something that, like, people can relate to outside of, the, like, a digital presence. Right. Yeah, you totally. Know? For, for someone like me who didn't necessarily have music out, you know, and the podcast is still in its infancy and I've had a bunch of experiments with YouTube but never, like, really built any kind of cohesive audience there. Um, I feel like I was starting to fall into that trap of, like, just posting the same kind of content and then seeing the diminishing returns. It's tough. You know, t content strategy is a, real, is a real thing that people need to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, the most important thing besides the actual content itself is like besides besides your product the music or whatever yeah. product it is you have to figure out the best way to put it out there because we all know that that 
Instagram is king, like social media is king. So what did you do for Chromafunk? Did you do anything specific content wise? I saw some like song playthroughs. I saw some really, really cool stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what I did. Um, pull up my phone in a little bit, but I remember I essentially kind of did the same strategy that I'm doing with this EP. Um, I like to release two or three, I released uh, three singles off the album. And mm -hmm. I, so that's, that's really smart because obviously you can, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just saying it's, it's <laughs> smart for, for an artist to, to do releases off of your album as singles because you can really spread out the promo that way. And that's really important. Yeah. Um, so I had three singles. I could pitch each of those three singles to Spotify. Whereas if I just released my album, I can only pitch one song to Spotify from the entire album. Yeah. Um, as, as you know, but a lot of artists don't necessarily know that. So spread out your release, pitch, get, get like hype going for your album or your EP, one or two singles or whatever. That gets people thinking about it. That gets them the early exposure to it. So I put out Drum Machine with cover art that was similar to the album. And then I put out um, Heaven Is, which had mm -hmm. similar cover art. And then I put out Bootsy's new bass which was the collab with Flamingosis. Um, and that had some more cover art. So it's like before the album even came out for three weeks ahead of that, people were yeah. like, it was building hype. People were starting to listen to it on Spotify. Yeah, you had those waves of momentum. Like each release was this like new, it was like a push and then a pull and then a bigger push and then Bootsy's new bass and then a big push for the Flamingosis collab. And then you're all set for the album drop and to carry it, take it all the way back and get as much organic as you can. Yeah, and I was lucky, man, because Spotify playlisted the very first song I sent to them. I was Drum like, machine, I saw I was that. like I was ecstatic. So <laughs> I was like, oh my God, th is this going to happen the whole time? Like, no, it didn't. <laughs> but at least like in the beginning, I had that that approval, that external validation. Yes, oh, that's nice. this yeah. is good. Like, I'm doing the right thing now. <laughs> yeah, much better than like putting it out and getting like, 1500 spins you know i mean you put that out to some heat yeah and yeah. like i was worried you know i was like man i'm putting this out myself it's not on a label like what if spotify doesn't pick it up but that's that's why it's really cool if you can if you can um if you can do collabs and stuff you're gonna get organic plays when you combine audiences with other people um and i was really lucky and fortunate to work with those big artists who you know i had that friendship with that connection with actually in real life for flamingosis um mm -hmm. Or they just, they vibed with my music. So if, if you have music that other people vibe with, they'll collab with you even if they're bigger than you. So what, what would your opinion be on maybe like taking an album, if you had an album worth of songs and you just released them one at a time? Yeah, I mean- Just release 10 singles. Totally. <laughs> that, I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing that happen all the time. You're seeing people do that right now. But, but I disagree with that and I'm not doing that. And that's because I find myself uh, artistically, I disagree with that. And also I just think as a as a re-listenable piece of work, people will come back to the album or the EP much more than the single. Yeah, I feel that because it's sort of a, it's yeah, it's like, why would you just go listen to one chapter of a book? You know, if it was yeah. designed to be this collective piece of work, it should be presented and like experienced as a collective body of work. Exactly, man. Yeah, 100%. the book's a perfect example. Um, that's important, man. Like you, so I read this book a while back called The Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday. Um, my friend Joseph Thrash, I told him to read it. 
and honestly Shout out nifty earth yeah it's good like i forget a lot of th it's been a while since i've read it but one of the biggest takeaways that which i won't forget obviously the whole point of the book is you have to think about your career long term like very long term um that's what perennial means and so when you're as an artist you naturally already have a pretty short uh potentially a pretty short career compared to other careers so you should really focus on putting out something that can be timeless and people can go back and listen over and over again you shouldn't be focusing on short-term hype or your your career could be jeopardized i think yeah that's really solid that's kind of his you whole take that's yeah you could take that same advice on content marketing you know yeah yeah dude it's not just music it's really anything that you're putting out content wise mm -hmm. create creatively um so that's why i like to put out eps and albums and that's why i think it's important for other people to focus on that is you have to think about long term in the book he uses examples like movies like classic movies um what's the what's the number one movie on IMDb right now it's like some some people obviously know it say uh shawshank redemption that's the number one movie on imdb that's right the number now. one yeah it's a great movie i love it's that a great movie, yeah. movie but it wasn't a great movie for many years people people disregarded it for many many years and that's the book is just so good at like pulling out examples of like classics that were unnoticed for like a hundred years even like literary classics it's like damn but it's timeless and yep. he paintings and art pieces yeah yeah it's timeless man you have to just focus on really good content and make it um the, the full package instead of just going for the short-term hype i'm gonna put out a hot single i'm gonna creatively make this type of music because future bass is hot right now i'm gonna yep. make i'm gonna make this because this music's hot like those aren't the artists that I think will be around. Yeah. And, and I feel the same way about content creators, you know. And just like any outlet that rushes to capture the what's hot right now. Um, you know, I really don't like that. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. You, you Musically, I think of artists like Nujabes and Jay Dilla, who, of course, in their prime, were very highly regarded and respected as artists, but they were not legends they were not like forefathers of an entire genre and like scene of music community culture of music and and it wasn't in, you know and like but they didn't care jay dilla wasn't thinking about like man i gotta release singles he's got 40, <laughs> 40 beats on an album yeah and he i don't care <laughs> he doesn't give a shit i love that dude i love that yeah you know I, yeah and jay it's Dilla's like, a great example. you think about like um uh, Nujabe is like writing the the theme for Samurai Champloo. It's like that. Well, he was contracted to do that specifically because of his style, which helps. But like anime of that genre, and like you know, there, there were, I guess there was a kind of a scene of like um, TV music and like intro music and like anime music. And Samurai Champloo's intro goes is like way left field. Yeah. Know? And it's like now it's like oh, turns out that you know what he was making was timeless yeah yeah man that's important that's important yeah. man i was just i've just been thinking about new jobs all day <laughs> i have a song i just found from new jobs and i love it so much what is it you have a what there's just one particular song by new jobs that i really love uh let's see if i can hit uh rest in peace new jobs yeah man I mean, I need to actually dive in a little deeper to him, but 
this one song in particular. I don't know. I'll find it later. It's dope. <laughs> well, yeah. Tell me about your um. Tell me about your collaboration with Flamingosis. You know, because that's a pretty um big name. Yeah, man. He's a uh, he's he is a big name, and he's an awesome dude. He's he kind of reminds me of like the same the same guys we're talking about. New job is Dilla. He he's the kind of guy that just puts stuff out, puts stuff out that he likes, puts albums out. Like he's got a vision and he's extremely, uh, he's hardworking. He just is really diligent with his music. <clears throat> so I was surprised that we could do a collab together. It helped out, <coughs> excuse me, it helped out that we had, we had met in real life, I think two or three times before that. A couple of times uh, we hung out at his shows. I went to his shows and I like met him at the first show and we talked and he, he kind of, you know, Warren and I made, I make music at, at one of those two shows. The third time we hung out was when he came to Atlanta again, because he's he's touring all over the country, touring the world even. And he mm -hmm. came back to Atlanta, and we played a show together at the Georgia Theater with Big Gigantic. Um, and after that, I was like, okay, like I'm working on my album, and I just sort of hit him up on Instagram, and he was down, so took it from there. Sweet, man. That's awesome. You just DM'd him on Instagram, gave, gave him the old DM. Yeah, man. Like... As far as that goes to anybody who's listening, it's really important to build up some sort of relationship, obviously. I think I think most people know that now, but you really you really want to try hard to not be the guy who's asking for anything until you until you know somebody a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cuz I see that a lot. I I think that this is a good time to address like Go ahead, do your public service yeah. announcement on do it. Yeah, dude, like whatever you do, producers don't be the guy who DMs your beat uh, without the guy asking for it. Like, just just don't be the guy who says, "Yo, dude, I made this. Check this out," or anything, because it'll instantly leave a bad taste in pretty much everyone's mouth who gets that message. And even if it's great, like, they're not gonna want to check it out. You get, you just have to be earnest in like, uh, like a human with how you go about asking somebody to listen to your stuff. So that that's all I have to say. <laughs> 100%. What he said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate being that guy who's on a on a platform, but it's I think it's I think a lot of uh like musicians who are getting started are really desperate and so they like use that they resort to that, but probably not the best strategy. Yeah, and it's like you know, I I mean, I don't know if if you live in a town of 20,000 people in the middle of some state, you know, and you're like desperate to go and meet and like be a part of a community, move to a city, go to a place, actually be a part of the community, you know? That's really important too. Yeah. yeah. Like getting out of your house and actually going to shows and talking yeah. to people. That's huge, man. Like I, you know, some of the producers that I've gotten to know, um, I've met them at their show and I've talked to them and that strengthened the relationship way more than you can do on Instagram. So Absolutely. That's so important. So important. Or, you know, if you've got like a, maybe if you've, if there's an artist that you want to earn the respect of, like, let's say you didn't know Flamingosis in real life, you could maybe like do, uh, you could like analyze one of his songs and like break down one of his songs. And like kind of explain it inside of like an, an an a to a like diy youtube format 
Yeah. You know, like, hey, I'm Joey Pure Colors. Today, let's break down Flaming Ghost's song. And then you could send that video to the artist and be yes. like, hey, I broke down your song. I think it's great. You know? Yes. Like, that's not an ask. That's like a sign of respect. That's huge, man. You, yeah. There are so many creative ways you can do that with artists you like. And yeah. just doing that and not asking permission and sending it to him. Yeah, that's a that's a super great thing to do. Um, and like try to do it in a way where you're you're not you're not so, like sort of asking for something. You're literally just like, yeah, I I love this. I made this. Like, hope you like it. Yep, absolutely. Definitely, I think that's important. That. B- people are learning. We're figuring it out. You know. Yeah, definitely, man. It's just hard for a long time. Like, I I want people to understand that for, and it's not like I'm an expert here, man. Like, I I know I'm talking like. I've done this for only like four years, but I can just say in four years, like it's really hard in the beginning to grow, just like we were talking about with content and like putting yep. out content on Instagram or YouTube. Um, so you you really would do yourself a solid if you put the blinders on to like everyone else, focus on you, put the blinders on to like how many views you're getting, how many comments you're getting, how many plays you're getting. Just keep doing that shit and getting better and better. Um, yeah over time and having fun with it just do it because you like it and you're having fun with it don't do it because you're expecting results from it yeah that's like the hardest advice to receive too because you know everybody wants to like they see other people making you know especially djs or content creators it's like i see the count putting out videos every day and i'm like man i really wish that i yeah was putting out videos every day it's like oh i'm ignoring the last 10 years of his music tr- music theory training you know production techniques studio setup <laughs> yeah it's like there's a lot more there <laughs> there's a lot Under more the there man yeah you, exactly yeah. don't feel like you can just do that yet and even then like just the fact that he's able to do that every day that's really hard to do and a lot of people can't do that so yeah you just have to you have to have respect for people like that and not not necessarily feel like a failure if you can't Absolutely. Yeah, and just put in the time. Know that it takes years, like years and years and years and years before you are even like good enough to start doing the things that everybody aspires to, like playing shows and collaborating with like your heroes in the music scene and playing festivals is another decade, you know, and like <laughs> just yeah. you just gotta do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good it's good to have a job, I guess, too, if you're if you're doing that, it's good to not um, put pressure on yourself to be financially successful with music and to have either a part-time job or even a full-time job yeah. while you're doing that. That might have been one of the reasons why I slowed down on um, on making so much content is because, you know, ultimately my goal at first was just to put out content so I could grow an audience so I could make some money. <laughs> yeah. But then it's like, once I realized I didn't need you know, it was unrealistic for me to expect to be financially secure just through content creation. Like that is a lofty goal. It know? is, man. So, <laughs> no, but kind like, of took props some of the pressure off. And I, I feel you, man. I'm the same way. Like I'm, I'm a bit of an entrepreneur myself. Like a lot of musicians are, and I, mm-hmm. I try to do the same thing. You know, I've tried to, to like think of ways to creatively make money that way, and and it's tough, and uh, you can do it, but I don't think it's. It's very easy and it's just a lot of luck and whatnot. So, yeah, and a lot of work. And a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you have to be good at whatever it is you're doing, also. So, <laughs> yeah. 
take that into account. <laughs> but it's really not so bad having another way to, to make money and to spend your time doing something else than just doing music and content only, too. Yeah. Like, everybody's running their own race. And, and I say that for anybody that's watching and also for myself, you know. Like, everybody's running their own race. Some of these kids started producing when they were 12 years old, so it doesn't matter that you're 20 and, like, you're, you know, two of you have lived very different lifestyles, you know, li live different lives, so. Yeah. You know, it's going to take eight years no matter what, so you might as well start when you're 20. You might as well, dude. Like, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> advice I wish I had told myself, like, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I didn't start getting serious about music until after I graduated college. I should have been doing that shit in college or before college. Like, yeah, true. Yeah, which segues pretty nicely into my last question, which is um, advice to my younger self. Advice to my younger self. Yeah, I wrote out like a whole note on this, but <laughs> it's long. <laughs> Read it. And I'd probably just rant. Like, I don't. Is it heartfelt and personal? That'd be juicy. If it's personal. Yeah. Yeah, it's very personal. Let me see. Okay, I'll try to like not read this word for word, but like uh, summarize this. All right. So advice to my younger self. Um, you have to trust your instinct on music. This is where I was basically talking about right before this. If you absolutely love sitting at a computer and writing music or playing an instrument, then you got to keep doing that and take it seriously. Um, you don't necessarily need to treat it like a job. But the discipline of making yourself sit down and do that work uh, daily or just about daily is super important. So for anybody who's listening, like, yeah, man, do this. Uh, do this in high school, do this in college. If you're if you're younger, like just start doing that shit. Take it seriously and just see what happens with it, because the sooner you start, the better off you'll be. Um, like I was telling Josiah, I went to college, I finished it and then I got started with music. Um, and I'm glad I did that because I had I had my degree, I had my safety net um, in case music didn't work out, I could always get a job. And that's great, but uh, I think what I probably wrote here is, I, I wish I had studied um, music. I wish I had studied like um, music performance. I studied marketing, which was cool. I definitely think that helped, but I really wish I had just focused on music. So uh, don't, and you know, it's different today, man. Like slight tangent you don't necessarily need a degree like you did um like you did years ago because we have this crazy thing called the internet and social media and <laughs> this kind of goes against what we were saying like it's good to have another job besides music but if you do want to take the plunge and you want to um do music or something creatively like if you if you absolutely love it like consider majoring in music um because i wish i had done that basically yeah, the rest of the note, I'm kind of just ranting. We've kind of already talked about it, but um, I've got a couple more tips here, though. You, should I should I read some of those? Yeah, go for it. I, I just want to interject that um, you know you don't need a, a degree to be a bartender, and uh, those guys make a ton of money. So yeah, bartending, <laughs> waiting if you can wait tables. Um, yeah, man, there's lots of creative ways to make money these days. You want to know, so I I, uh, I ask a lot of people advice. Before I started doing the podcast, you know, anytime I met an amazing musician and got a chance to talk to them for more than a few minutes, I would ask them a piece of advice. And the bass player of Dopapod, Chuck, I asked him, I was like, give me a piece of advice. And he was like, don't have a backup plan. Don't have a and backup thought, plan. Don't have a backup plan. I always yeah. thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> Dude, that's badass. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty badass thing to say. <laughs> It's it's great to not have a backup plan, but it can be really hard if you don't because 
then you're just like, yeah. you're working so hard, so hard for that goal and you don't have that backup plan. I think it pays off if you're if you're patient enough, for sure. But yeah, man. And if you put in the work. Oh yeah, yeah, hit me with the rest of your tips. I'd love to hear them. I love don't have a backup plan. Um, I'm kind of the same way. I don't really have a backup plan. Uh, <laughs> and we'll see where that takes me. But um, yeah, man, I was gonna say, carefully and selectively invest in a mentor or teacher if you're serious about learning the foundations. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that because I'm an Ableton teacher. I'm saying that. Oh, I didn't even ask about your Ableton lessons. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, man. Like, yeah, I just I think that the the learning curve can be shortened so much if you have somebody like really helping you out. Um, and I've seen that. So don't be afraid to invest in that if you're serious about it. Yep. So that was that tip. Um, last thing I guess is you don't need a bunch of gear and plugins. Um, you don't need to buy like all this crazy shit to get started but you do need some of the essential stuff you need a you need, you need a good computer good ram uh you probably need to invest in some plugins that are essential to you um but talk to other other music producers and experienced people uh and get their thoughts on what they use and that'll save you time yeah i really like that bit about um getting a mentor do you have any advice for that yeah um I think you should be careful with courses that you, there's so many people advertising online, like take my Ableton course, learn my course, um, pay for it. That stuff is like, it's cookie cutter. It's not necessarily going to apply to everyone or apply to you. Um, if you're fortunate enough to find a mentor who you really vibe with, a producer who you like love, who's teaching, uh, take them up on it. Like, because they might not be doing that for a long time if they don't have the time for it and you can shorten your learning curve so much with one-on-one -on -one lessons with somebody. So I think that's yeah. really important is, uh, is do that because, you know, I've had some students where they, they didn't know how to do, they didn't know how to really do anything in Ableton. They didn't know how to like warp audio and all this stuff. And they tried YouTube for years and like, and they tried finishing music for years. All you need is somebody who does that all the time to like figure out what you're doing wrong and help you with that. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. So that's pretty much it for, for Ableton. That's solid. Well, just for like, yeah, I guess advice, uh, just on like finding a mentor in general. I've had a couple bass teachers that were amazing, you know, N that it played in styles that were not necessarily like what I'm trying to do, but just we connected on like a, on like a friend level. Yeah. And that was really important, you know? Yeah. 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 Somebody who's like similar to you, who, who can give you advice and understand techniques and whatnot that you're yeah. struggling with. It's like a reason to practice too, you know, cause you like don't want to let your mentor down. That's huge, dude. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. Um, I wish I had a mentor on drums right now. I don't, I don't think I could afford one, but I would love one. So yeah, let me know. Well, I know you... some drummers. I know some drummers who teach. I'll, I'll hit you up about it, man. Like that's, me up. that's where I'm. See, that's the thing. Like, I've been playing drums for, like, uh, 20, 20, holy shit. No, sorry, not 20. <laughs> <laughs> not 20. I've been playing drums for 16 years. And yeah. my problem right now is I'm stuck in my ways. I need a mentor who can show me Break you down and, and rebuild and it. And re rebuild what I've done for so long. I've got a habit of what yeah. I've done. So it doesn't matter if you're new or if you've been doing it for a long time. Mentors are great. Well, I know some gospel drummers, and they Dude, would uh, they'd whip you up quick. They'd I love gospel drumming. Like, <laughs> Larnell Lewis is a gospel drummer. 
Like, yeah. some, some of that stuff is so funky, man. And uh, like the guy that you filmed at Nowhere Bar, I'd love to talk That's to him. That's the guy I'm talking about, yeah. one of them. <laughs> What's his name? His name is Jonathan Fortson. Okay, yeah, yeah, you told me about that. He is a monster. Is he classically like trained in that or did he, is he self-taught? Taught through the church? Taught through the church. Taught through That's the church. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like who taught him? Like another drummer at the church or did he just learned? Probably. Wow. Do you know, do you know what shedding is? Shedding? Shedding? It's, um, it's, I saw something on, um, um, it, it's this YouTube channel called Sound Scan. Do you know them? I've heard of With it. A, yeah, L.A. Buckley, I think is his name. L.A. Artley. Um, but he, so anyways, and I saw they broke it down. And it, it was born in Chicago, actually. So good news for you. You're heading up to Chicago. Nice. Um, and it's basically like six or seven drummers get together in a room at the church and they all and they like play a song on the speakers and then they all just take turns doing like four bar eight bar solos on it oh that's awesome and so it's like a big drum circle of yeah. like the most badass cats you've ever seen that's badass that sounds Shedding awesome. is super cool yeah and they like learn from each other that way too like and they learn from each other that and way. it's yeah. it's probably just like boys hanging out like oh that was dope like you know freaking exactly out at, yeah like, each other drumming absolutely yeah it's better than playing like you know grand theft auto or something when you're 12 if you're just like you know sitting in on drum set on a shed session oh absolutely i wish i went to gospel church man that sounds awesome yeah, I went to white people church. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm trying to go to a gospel church soon. That sounds great. There you go. Yeah. Well, um, hey, man, you've answered all my questions. I um, super appreciate you sitting down to talk to me. Um, I'll let you run. I know you got to eat some food, and then you got to yeah. teach because you also teach Ableton lessons. So if anybody is interested in taking a lesson with the great Joey Tolsky, a.k.a. Pure Colors, <laughs> then send him an email or slide into his Instagram DMs. Slide right in. <laughs> and Joey, I'll let you uh, plug away. I know you've got a release coming up as well. Yeah, thanks thanks a lot, man. It's been really fun hanging out and talking to you about all this. Um, yeah, so I guess, I guess I'll do a little plug. I have a single coming out tomorrow. I have an EP coming out on April 17th with three tracks on it. Um, basically, the whole story and theme behind that is I was in Maui shortly... Uh, or two weeks ago, three weeks ago, before the before the whole outbreak thing, and it was kind of a perfect segue into the this new sort of style I'm diving into. It's more groovy, down tempo um, on beats, I guess you could say, a little bit more emotionally driven, maybe. So anyway, that's coming out, and you guys can check that out on all platforms. Um, What's it called? It's called Azura. Ooh. So, you know, that's hope. Pretty self-explanatory, but it means blue. I guess Azura actually means blue. But it's part one of a part three series, which I want to turn into an album um, with two other EPs. So it's the first EP followed by two other EPs, which will be an album kind of kind of deal. So yeah, a uh, little different direction. I'm, I'm excited about it, and um, that's it. Wow. Well, if you made it through that entire interview, I applaud you. That was 80 whole minutes. 
Some really cool stuff that we talked about there. Joey is, of course, a good friend of mine. And one of the best parts about getting to do podcasting is having the chance to ask my friends who are successful and pick their brain and, you know, share their knowledge, not only, you know, for my own personal (laughs) benefit so that I can learn, but kind of share their knowledge with the world. And not only that, but I'm a huge fan of Pure Colors. I'm a fan. Thanks, y'all, for hanging out, sticking around with us. I'm going to go ahead and close up shop here on this episode. And until next time, my name is Josiah. Josiah! I'll see you guys later.